incredible month of just this soul detox we've been in today we're going to be talking about the seduced soul and i don't know about you but sometimes uh, for me and, and a lot of people i know uh, we the, the messages that we need to hear the most sometimes are the most difficult ones to hear personally like like the message that god really wants to speak to us sometimes is the one that we we, we just don't hear it personally it, it, it's easy to say okay well that didn't really apply to me he was talking to somebody else that's really not my issue that's you know we're it's, it's easy to just kind of divert some of that stuff and what i want to do today is i just want to implore you today to really let god speak to you god wants to do something significant in your heart today and i'm just going to be honest this is not a fun message this message is probably the worst one of the whole series you know last night we got done everyone just got up and left no one said anything to me and it was just like you know and, and but, but but let me tell you you only have to hear this once i had to live with this thing all week long i mean this was not fun to deal with this all week because god was just like working on me and doing stuff in me and showing me things that i just didn't want to see because it's painful and it's like Oh, my Lord, what in the world did I get myself into? And so really today, just let God speak to you today. Just just kind of, you know, as, as Jesus said, you know, I pray that you have ears to hear and eyes to see what because the, the spirit wants to reveal something to you today, wants to do something significant in your life today. And I just pray that you won't miss it. You won't just kind of like, you know, rationalize it away or just kind of think it away and forget about it. But you really allow God to do a deep work in your heart. So I just want to open in prayer quickly and just invite, you know, God to really speak to us today. So pray with me, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just give us, God, eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to reveal to us, what you want to speak to us today. Show us some stuff in our life that we need to deal with, God, that we need to wrestle with and really, you know, make some decisions on and just just let, let it be clear and, and speak to us, God. Let us not miss it or, or, or kind of rationalize it away, but let it really penetrate into us today in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. all right, you said amen. So it's on you now. I kind of tricked you into that, but just remember you said amen. So you, you agreed with that prayer and you need to let God do what he needs to do. Um, we're talking about the seduced soul today. I don't know if you've ever gotten the email from the Prince of Nigeria that has like $80 billion and you're like the long lost relative he's looking for. And if you'll just wire him your life savings, you'll get like an $80 billion, you know, payment into your account. You know, those things are hilarious, you know, to read and to see every time. I think I get one like every single day. But the, 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 the sad reality is there are people out there who literally are seduced by those things and lose a life savings. I mean, somebody is being suckered into that thing. I mean, that's why they keep coming, because if somebody is falling prey, they're being seduced into this dream of having $80 billion and they literally lose their life savings over it. And I think so often we are seduced into loving Things that are very dangerous for our soul. Things that poison our souls. Things that are damaging and destructive to our soul. Remember the key thought of this series in your notes is we are not a body with a 
soul. We are a soul with a body. And I'm really glad about that because these bodies aren't all that. How many know what I mean? I mean, these bodies break down. They, they, they're deteriorating. I, I'm glad one day that this body isn't me, that this isn't who I am, that who I really am is a soul. My soul will live on forever. In fact, God's going to give me a new body, a body that doesn't break all the time, a body that's a little bit better than this body. And I'm thrilled about that because these bodies just aren't that great. I mean, one day this body will either be cremated or it'll rot in the ground somewhere. But either way, this body is not who I am. Who I am is a living, breathing soul. And so today what I want to deal with is the sin of idolatry that seduces our soul. Scripture says in Exodus chapter 20, this is the very first of Ten Commandments. In verse 3, it says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Just to be clear, anything, everything, anywhere, don't make an idol. And have you ever wondered why is it that our souls are so vulnerable uh, to being seduced into worshiping idols? Why is it that, it, that, that we, and again, it's the word seduce. This is not something we willingly or consciously do. We're seduced into it. This catches us off guard. We never intended or planned on, on doing this. We're seduced into worshiping these idols. Why is it that as human beings, we're so vulnerable to this? I mean, it's just a repetitive pattern of our, of our human history. Well, here's the reason. We were created for worship. You were created to be a worshiper. You can't control it. You will, as a human being, worship something. You were created for worship. In fact, you were created to worship the one true God. That's what you were created for. So if you're not connected to the one true God, the way you were created to be connected to him, you will worship the things of this world because you were created for worship. Now, the word worship simply means where do you devote your time, your energy and your passion to? That's all worship is. It's devoted time, devoted energy and devoted passion into something. And here's the problem. When you worship the things of this world, you'll always be unsatisfied. You'll never find fulfillment. You'll never find true contentment to true joy or true peace because nothing in this world will ever satisfy because you were created to worship the one true God. So anything in this world will fall short. I love how Deuteronomy clarifies this a little bit more. Now, this is funny to me because, you know, before it says don't worship anything in heaven or on earth. But Deuteronomy takes the liberty to spell it out in detail in case you're a little bit confused. He says, so do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. Now, now look at this list, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground or a bird in the sky. A small animal that scurries along the ground or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and you see the sun, the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. And that's the important phrase there. Don't be seduced. Because, again, this isn't stuff you're willingly going to do. This is not, you know, I'm not, I'm not running out of here today looking for a small animal scurrying around the ground that I'm going to set up an altar and worship. I mean, this is just not stuff I'm going to do. 
I mean, we, 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 I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Old Testament and I'm thinking, are you guys idiots? I mean, the stuff they worship, the stuff, I mean, one day they threw all their gold jewelry into a fire and a gold calf jumped out and they decided to worship it. And I'm thinking that is just silly. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. We would never uh, ever imagine doing something that idiotic. And you know, the reason many of us don't battle with this sin is because we can't see it. You know, we, we, we say, well, I don't battle with idolatry. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't do idol worship. That's not me. That's third world. That's, that's other. They, they worship. I don't worship idols. I mean, look, they, you know, idol worship is the golden calves and the shrines and the figurines and, and, and the statues. And the reason many of us don't see it is because we've been seduced and blinded to see it in our own life. Let me give you an illustration. There was a, a missionary in India, and on one of his first journeys to India, he was in a village, and there is a woman sacrificing chicken to an idol at an altar. I mean, she was like slitting their throats and blood and idol and altar and, and the whole works, this little statue, and she's like killing chickens. And he's thinking, this is sick. This is, this is idolatrous. This is like what you read about. This is just crazy. I can't believe she's doing this. So he begins a conversation with her and finds out that she had been to America before. And so he asked her, what do you think of America? And this is what she said. America is the most disgusting, idolatrous nation I've ever been in. And he's thinking idolatrous. I mean, come on, chicken, blood, knife, altar. I mean, that's idolatry. What in the world are you talking about? She goes, well, first off, you Americans worship your stomachs. I mean, you worship, you build these massive temples with aisles and aisles and aisles of, of stuff to worship your stomach that you don't really need. On every corner in America, there's, there's four restaurants on every corner. And let's, let's be honest, I mean, most of you are overweight and you just worship your stomachs. And then she said, and you build these million dollar massive stadiums where a hundred thousand people come together to worship some, some men wearing uniforms on a field and you dress yourselves up like you can do what they can do. And it's just, it's just idolatrous. She goes, and not only that, look at your homes. You build these, these idols in your living rooms, these little black box idols, and you design all the furniture so that you as a family can sit and worship this little black box for hours together as a family. It's just idolatrous. And the irony is she couldn't see her own idolatry, but she could see the idolatry of somebody else. And I think that's often what we struggle with. Look at this photo with me. Uh, this is from the, 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 the you know, the, the Far East. Now, m most of us here today, hopefully all of us, would never consider building an idol in our living room. Like we wouldn't consider building a shrine, an altar, and an idol to worship a false god or a dead religion in our living room. We, as Americans, this is like, you know, this is not something we would ever think of doing. I mean, this is just, as Christian Americans, we just wouldn't do stuff like this, would we? Now look at this next picture. This is what we do. We build the black box and we design our whole house to worship the black box for hours as a family. 
Look at, look at this next photo with me. Now, how I many know this is, uh, this is idol worship at, at, at its worst. I mean, this, I mean, you go to the third world countries and you see the way they, they paint themselves up and they decorate themselves. And, and just, I mean, as, as a third world or a first world American, I mean, this is just out of, you know, we would never do this. I mean, look at this next photo. I mean, this is just not us. We look at this and this is primitive. This is idolatrous. This is, this is false God worship. I mean, this is so benign. Beneath us as Americans, isn't it? Now look at this next photo. I mean, let's be honest. Look at the next one. Look at this. I mean, see, we get so wrapped up in what we think idolatry is that we can't even see it in our own life. Our souls are being seduced into elevating things, even good things. I mean, the majority of what I'm going to talk about today is good things, really good things in your life. The problem is when you take a good thing and you elevate it to a supreme thing and you make it an idol and you place it above God, it seduces and it kills your soul. Jesus asked this question in Mark chapter eight. He said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Like if you get everything, you get all the power, all the fame, all the money you've ever wanted, and yet you lose your own soul. See, that's why this series was so important to me, because I think we needed time to detox our soul, to kind of get some of the pollution out of our soul. And today will be some weighty stuff. Uh, It's not going to be pleasant, but I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will do something in all of us, because this message isn't just for you. It's for me as much as anybody. Uh, This message is for all of us today. So let's talk about dethroning the idols of our souls. How do we dethrone the idols of our souls? The first thing you're going to have to do because you're seduced. The first thing is identify the idols of your souls. The first thing you need to do is you got to identify the idols because you've been seduced by them. You can't see them uh, very easily. So you've got to step back and you've got to identify and let the Holy Spirit show you some things in your life. Because, again, we've elevated things to the supreme place in front of God. Here's a question for you that King David posed in Psalm 24. He said in verse three, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Like like who can be in God's presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And look at this, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. The person that has not lifted up their soul to an idol. And here's the challenge today. For many of us, it's going to be really easy uh, this morning to justify and rationalize things away as not being idols in our life. Like, that's not an idol for me. Like, 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 and it'll be very easy for you to kind of rationalize it away. Don't do that today. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Let, let him speak to you this morning because it'd be really easy. And let me say, you can have hobbies and passions. And, you know, I'm not saying that you need to spend 24 hours a day reading the Bible and praying. That's not what this is about. I'm saying don't let anything in your life become more important than your God. That's what I'm saying. And here's, here's the truth. If God's first in your life, you will actually enjoy your hobbies even more. God wants you to have hobbies. God wants you to enjoy life. He created the world for our enjoyment and he wants you to enjoy it. He just wants to be first. And if he's first, you'll enjoy everything else so much more. But if you make the things of this world first, you're always going to be unsatisfied. So let me give you three things to kind of evaluate, to look at as to kind of help you identify the idols of our souls. The first thing you need to look at is your time. 
Where do you spend the majority of your time, your energy, your focus, your attention? I mean, mean, where is your time going? And I'm not here today to tell you what is and what isn't. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, you know, my job as a pastor is not to judge people. My job is to challenge you to talk to the Holy Spirit and let him reveal some things in your life. Where's your time? Where's your energy? Where's your focus? Here's another one to evaluate your money. This is probably the easiest one to evaluate because this is the one area in the Bible that's just black and white. It's very clear. It's not gray. I mean, we know the Bible tells us the first 10% of everything we earn belongs to God. It is holy. It is set apart. It is his. You know, we return it or we steal it. You know, it's very black and white. It's clear. And, and here's how this plays out. The, the tithe throughout Scripture was a test. That's, that's why it says, test me in this. God says it's a test. Who has first place in your life? And here, here, here's how the test works. When you get paid, who do you honor first? Who do you worship first? Who do you recognize first when you get paid? Who do you thank first when you get paid? I know people, when they get paid, the first person they worship is the mortgage company. That's the first person they honor or recognize. Some people, it's the credit card company. Some people, it's the grocery store. The problem is none of those places have the ability to bless your finances. I get paid on the 15th and the 31st, which was this week. So one of the things I do is is I always do my tithe during my devotions in the morning. Because for me, tithing is not a financial transaction between me and a church. It's an act of worship between me and my God. So I'll get up, I'll do my morning devotions, and my son's usually up at the time, so I always, I always have him do the tithe with me, and we get out you know, our, our, our phone and the little push pay app that our church uses, and I put in the tithe amount, and he looks at it, and for a five-year-old, every amount is a huge amount. And I just, every time I do it, I talk him through. I said, Asher, I want you to know God has first place in our family. We give to God first. We put God first. He has first. When God blesses us, when God, when there's increase that comes into our life, whether we work for it or whether it's just, you know, a a blessing, we put God first in everything. And it's just, it's just the way we worship God. Here's another area to evaluate your conversation. Your conversation. Where does your conversation naturally drift to? Like, like think about it. What do you talk about most when you're with your friends, when you're with your family? Where does your conversation naturally drift? Where, Where do you put what's most important to you? Because whatever is most important to you is where your conversation will naturally drift most often. And I don't know what it is for you. It's, it's different for everyone. I know some people, they worship their homes. I mean, they do obsessive research. They've got to have the yard of the month. They've got to build these killer backyards. I mean, that's, I mean, all of their time, energy, and devotion is in their home. Some people, it's their image. I mean, they've got to have, I mean, they're at the tanning bed. They're in the gym. They've got the, you know, I mean, the hair, the designer clothes. I mean, it's, it's not just I want to be healthy. It's way beyond I want to be healthy to I worship my image. I live for my image. And again, all of these things are good things, but we can take them and pervert them and make them supreme things that will damage our soul. Here's another one. And this is probably one of the biggest gods of North County, one of the biggest idols that we worship in North County. And it's our children. And let me say, our children are unquestionably important to us. There is no question that they are important, that we are to care for them, to love them and and to raise them right. But for many people here in North County, we have made our children our idols. Our entire family revolves around our children. We worship our children. Everything we do is for our children. We don't revolve around our God. We revolve around our children. 
And they're important, but if you get it out of alignment, and let me, let me give you my paraphrase of Mark chapter 8. What good is it if your children get to sign up for every sport so that they'll hopefully go pro in something and yet you lose your own marriage? I mean, what if they gain the whole world? What if your, what if your kids get everything yet they lose their mommy and daddy? What good is it? I mean, what good is it? They don't have to. I know this may be sacrilegious, but it's not child abuse if your child isn't signed up for five different sports. That's not child abuse. They can do one sport a week. It's fine. It's fine. Just don't kill your family over worshiping your children. For some people, it could be their hobbies. What's the, what's the one thing that you're going to do every single week that's non-negotiable? Like, I'm going to surf every week, or I'm going to golf every week. I will not, you know, when it comes to church, you know, I'll do my best, but I'm not going to miss this for nothing. I mean, what's that thing in your life that you've elevated to that place? Let me say it like this. When you're with your family and when you're with your friends, is th- if this is your most common posture. You might have a dysfunctional relationship with your iPhone or your iPad. I mean, let's be honest. There may be something wrong there with that type of relationship. You know, I, I mean, for, for some people, it's Candy Crush. I mean, they love Candy Crush. I mean, they can't, you know, they don't have time to read the one-year Bible, but they can master Candy Crush, and they can work hours to get to the next level, but yet they don't have time to read their Bible. I mean, what is it in your life? I mean, it's different for everybody. And I'll be, I, and what I want you to do this week as we begin small groups is be honest with your small group. What are you dealing with? What, what are the idols the Holy Spirit's revealing to you? You know, get some accountability, talk about it, you know, have some people keep you accountable to deal with some of this stuff in your life. Uh, I'll be honest about a couple of mine. One of the ones I struggled with for years was approval. Like I was more concerned about people's approval than God's approval. Like, Like when I preached, if people didn't tell me I did a good job or that was a good message, I would get depressed because I was more concerned about what people thought than what God thought. And then I realized one day that if I was going to be a good pastor, not everybody could like me. I mean, if everybody liked me, I wasn't doing my job right because I need to rub people the wrong way sometimes because the Bible's challenging. And I realized that if I got about a 33% approval rating in the church, I'm doing pretty good on average. (laughs) Like, like, that's pretty good as a pastor. Here's another God that I used to worship. I worship the God of security. Like, like, I wanted security. I, and I'm not a materialistic person. I really don't really care about stuff all that much. But I worship security. I wanted to be debt-free, and I wanted to have money in the bank so that I could feel secure. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with those two. In fact, the Bible teaches you to be debt-free. The Bible teaches you to save up. Those are very biblical things. The problem is when you put your security in those things, because only God can make you secure. If your security is being debt-free and having a savings account, you're putting your security in the wrong thing. It's a counterfeit God. Only God can give you security. Do those things because it's wise and because it's biblical, but don't do those things to give you a sense of security because only God can give you security. So first off, we have to identify the idols of our souls. Here's the second thing you need to do. Tear down your idols. Tear down our idols. Tear them down. God is not asking you today to manage or tolerate them. He's asking you to tear them down and obliterate them. I mean, not literally your children, if your children are the idol. (laughs) But at least move them back down under God. 
I mean, whatever you need to do, get rid of those idols. Judges 6, verse 25. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. I mean, this was some righteous anger here. You know, he's basically saying, I'm not going to let anything stand between my God and me. God will be first in my life. I'm going to put him first in every area of my life. If you just try to manage those things, it's going to seduce your soul and destroy your soul. And I know people that just can't do it. I mean, I, I've met people in our church who've told me, listen, you know, our, our, you know, our life revolves around our kids. We choose a church based on where our kids want to go to church. We don't choose a church based on where God wants us. We choose a church based on where our kids like and want to go. That, that our life revolves and you show them scripture and you, and you say, listen, that's not, you know, biblical. And, and the response is, well, you know, I just don't care. I just don't care. We're going to do it the way we want to do it. And I just don't care if it lines up with God. Great. But if it doesn't, we're going to do what we want to do. And it's very unfortunate to, to see people living this way. I know, I know guys who, you know, their, their, their whole life is driven by success in their business. And, the, you know, I, I know my teenage daughters need me right now, but I need more. I've, I've got to do more. I've got to work hard. I've got to get this business going. And, and, and I know they need me, but, but I just want more. I just want more. I need more. I mean, look at our nation. You know, we can't live on what we make, so we continually borrow because we want more. We want more. We're not satisfied. We've been seduced into this counterfeit God, this counterfeit idol. I mean, why is it in America that our lives are so full? We've got everything. I mean, we've got every piece of technology, every piece of entertainment, every piece of anything you can imagine. Our lives are so full, yet our souls are so empty. I mean, we've got everything, yet our souls are empty. Jesus dealt with this uh, when he ran into a guy who really idolized his stuff. In Mark chapter 10, the Bible says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I want you to see the motivation there. Jesus loved this guy genuinely. This is, Jesus wasn't being mean to him. He loved this guy genuinely. Because Jesus loved him genuinely, he told him the truth. And this is what he told him. He says, there is still one thing that you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. I mean, he's inviting this guy to be a disciple. He loved this guy. See, Jesus knew he lacked one thing. He had one thing in his life that was more important than God. He had one thing that was more important to God. And because Jesus loved him genuinely, he challenged him. And I know people that will say, well, Jesus would never ask us to do that today. I mean, Jesus would never ask us today to sell everything we have and give the money to the poor. That's just that that, that was the Bible. That was a long time ago. Jesus wouldn't ask that today. And you know what? I agree. Jesus wouldn't ask that of you unless. Unless it was an idol to your soul. Because let me tell you the truth. Jesus is more concerned about your eternal soul than your material stuff. And if your material stuff is more important than him in your life, then yes, he would ask you to get rid of some stuff. To reevaluate some things, to deal with some stuff, to put some things in order in your life. Because it's more important. So what are you going to have to do to tear down some stuff? What are you going to have to do? 
You know, I know people who, instead of getting rid of cable, they just got rid of their whole television. They said, you know what? We're not going to have a TV in our house anymore. We need to have some family time. We need to get, I haven't talked to my kids in 10 years. It's time to get to know them a little bit. You know, you know, I don't even know my wife's middle name is anymore. I mean, let's just get rid of the TV and, and, and rebuild our family here. You know, some people are so consumed about their online image. I mean, they spend hours and hours and hours building cities and farms on Facebook and commenting on everything. I mean, you may need to go home and shut off your Facebook for a few months and just get rid of it. Maybe Candy Crush. You may need to take a break. I know some of you are just having withdrawals even thinking about that right now. I mean, what do you mean take a break from Candy Crush? I mean, I can't, I can't, just can't do that. I mean, what are you going to need to do? You know, I read a story of a guy who gave up a very successful business and career to go coach junior high basketball because he needed more time to spend with his kids and he wasn't willing to sacrifice his kids for money. What are you going to need to do to, to realign your priorities? Is there anything in your soul right now that's more important to you than the one true God? Tear it down. Tear it down. See, the first thing we do is we identify the idols of our soul the second thing we do is we tear down the idols of our soul. Now you got all this space. Now you got, you know, like, like you, you, you remove some stuff. You've got this emptiness. Now what do you do? Because you've got all this emptiness and, and you've got this, this, this space that you've created. Number three, fill your soul with God. Fill your soul with God. Look at Psalm 84. My soul yearns. Now look at look, look at this language. Look at this word yearns. My soul even faints for the courts of the Lord. Like like I am yearning to be in God's presence. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I mean, I feel this in my body, my bones. I'm crying out for the living God. Psalm 107, for God satisfies the longing soul. If your soul is longing, if your soul is empty, if you're if you're not finding satisfaction in the things of this world. The hungry soul, he fills with good things. God wants to fill your soul with good stuff. The stuff of this world will never satisfy your soul, but God wants to fill your soul with contentment and peace and joy and things that truly satisfy. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've used language like that? I thirst for that. I want it. I'm panting for it. I yearn for that. To be honest, for most of us, the last time we've used language like that was for stuff. It was for a car. I got to get those new boots or need that purse or, you know, I got to get that house. I need that new boat. I mean, my, I, I want it so bad. My soul yearns for it. Like I feel it in my bones. I've got to have that so bad. And the reality is most of the time we use language like that. It's for material stuff. And the truth is, if you're not using language like that to describe your relationship with God, you've been poisoned by false idols in this world. And that's a tough truth to deal with. I love the way Max Licato tells it. He tells a, a parable, the fish on the beach. You take a fish and you put him on the beach. And what happens? The fish is like, <laughs> I mean, just dying. I mean, he's got no water coming in. He's just suffocating. He's just sitting in there on the beach. So they say, okay, what are we going to do with this fish on the beach? I got it. Let's give him a wad of cash and a big house. Now he's set. He's loaded with money. He's got a big house. How are you doing now, fish? <laughs> I mean, he's just dying. He's sitting on the beach. He's suffocating. 
Say, okay, we got it. Let's give them a Corona and a Playfish magazine. Now he can sit on the beach and look at naked fish all day. You know, that, that, that'll take care of him. How are you doing now, fish? I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just suffocating. He's dying. And here's the parable. You can give that fish anything and everything that this world has to offer. And he'll never be satisfied because the fish wasn't created for the beach. The fish was created for the water. See, you can get anything this world has to offer. But you weren't created for this world. If you feel empty in this world, then you need to lower the expectations you have for this world. This world was never created to satisfy you. The stuff of this world was never created to fulfill you. If you're whole, you know, if you're wrapped up in the stuff of this world, you're always going to be a fish on a beach suffocating and your soul's going to be dying because you were not created for this world. You were created for that world. And if you'll get connected to that world, you can find satisfaction in this world. But you got to get the priorities right. You got to fill yourself with the things of God. And I'm praying today that this will get through to you. I'm praying that you won't settle for anything less than God's best in your life. Today, as we meditate, as we've done every every week throughout this series to give you some time to just process this message. We're going to use an old hymn, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. And I just want to read the words. It's in your notes there. And as we hear this song today, I want you to meditate on these words and let God just just do some surgery inside you with this message. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And here's my desire for you. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. See, that's my prayer for you today. In the light of his glory and grace. Would you close your eyes and just meditate with me for a few minutes?
you just keep your eyes closed for a few minutes. I want to ask if there's anybody here that you can kind of relate to that fish on the beach story. You're, you're living a life you weren't created to live and you just feel empty. You feel lost. You feel like, what's, what am I missing? But you need to know you were created to be a part of God's family. You were created to be in relationship with God. God doesn't want to be your religion. He wants to be your father. And today I want to invite you to take the very first step and say yes to him and, and begin a journey with him that will change you forever. So if you're here today and you've never made a decision to put God first in your life, like you really need to put him first today. Say, so you know what? I, I need God in my life. I need to make this decision. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Or there's people here today that maybe there was a time in your life you really felt like God was first, but today you're away from God. And, and you, you know what I mean. But you need to hear today, God is saying, I want you to come back home. I want you to come back home. It's not too late. You're not too far. Please come back home. Please come back home. That's what God is crying out to you today. So if you're in either condition, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. You don't even need to say this prayer out loud. God can actually hear the cry of your heart if you'll pray this in your heart today. But if you're with me today with every eye closed and you'd say, you know what, I need to join you in that prayer today. Would you just slip up your hand and say, I'd like to join you. Thank 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 you for those hands. I see them. The prayer is simple. The first thing I want you to do is in your own words, I want you to just say, God, I put you first. I don't even really fully know what that means. I'll figure it out. You'll show me. But today I'm taking that step to put you first in my life. Would you just say, God, I put you first in my life. The second part of the prayer is forgiveness. We all need to ask God a very simple question. It's, will you forgive me? And he will absolutely say yes. He will absolutely say yes. So would you say, will you forgive me? And the last part of the prayer is, I just want you to say thank you. Thank you, God, for saving me, for rescuing me, for loving me, for wanting me to be a part of your family, for for allowing your son to die on my behalf. Just say thank you to God this morning. You can all look up for a moment. If you prayed with us today, I want to encourage you to take one more step on your own. On the connection card, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you made either decision today, would you check a box, drop it off one of the tithing offering boxes as you leave? We'd like to know so we can pray for you. We can support you. We have books outside that say, now what? This is a great question. I put God first in my life. What do I do next? Now what? This will help answer the next step questions. It's a short book. And then lastly, if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, we give away hundreds of Bibles a year. This is our favorite thing to do as a church. This book will change your life. It's living and it's breathing. Please take a Bible today. Our church reading plan is on the table. We read the one-year Bible. We'd love you to join us with today's reading. And you can read the entire Bible in one year in about 15 minutes a day. And it's a great reading plan. Some Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverb. Every day I get something new out of it. And so I want to encourage you to join us on the reading plan. You can get at that at the table. Would you stand with us as we close? I just want to sing a couple uh, phrases of that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and continue to let this message just kind of sink in as we sing this song.